Welcome to Orange Intelligence, a KUKA Robotics podcast featuring key players in the drive towards innovation and automation in any market. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Orange Intelligence by KUKA Robotics. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Collaborative robots have been a major topic of conversation throughout the industry, and one man with a unique perspective on this topic is Corey Ryan, Director of Medical Robotics for KUKA Robotics, and he joins me today. Corey, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk with me. Absolutely. Uh, well, I'm excited to get a chance to talk about this because um, collaborative robots really have been uh, such a hot topic over the past maybe five plus years, and that market has continued to grow. So, uh, Corey, kind of just uh, talk me through the market for collaborative robots and how you've seen that grow over the last several years. So, you know, collaborative robots have the, the idea of collaborative robotics has been around for a long time. Um, you know, Coupe as a, as a robot manufacturer, we were providing robots to Accuray. Uh, back in 1999, so you know more than 20 years, and they used our robots to do cancer treatment with patients. So they're moving a, a large LINAC around a, a patient, treating them for cancer, and uh, you know that that was kind of early on in in the market space, but um, there really wasn't societal and and uh, standards acceptance of that practice. It was just kind of an unusual thing to be done, but in the last. 10 years for sure, the market has started to pick up. And in the last five, it's become this, this, this tangible thing that people really are accepting the idea of putting a robot in the workspace without the safety fencing, without all of the traditional industrial uh, mindset. And so, you know, we've seen just an explosion in the market space for uh, people looking at any kind of application that would use robotics without having to separate the person from the robot. And that's for us, that's been an enormous market space to uh, be part of because, you know, as, as a leader in the early part, we've we sort of adopted the, uh, the mindset ourselves that there's no reason anyone can't find an application if it's necessary to put uh, a robot in the workspace. Right, right. I, I wonder... Uh, just from your perspective, Corey, has there been uh, a technological advancement um, or kind of new innovations that have really made this uh, more possible, let's say, um, just over the past several years? Have there been advancements that made collaborative robots a little bit more either accessible or uh, that makes everybody feel a little bit more comfortable about integrating them into facilities? Absolutely. Um, you know, in about seven years ago or so, seven to 10 years ago, Rodney Brooks and the uh, people at Rethink Robotics kind of came on the scene. Uh, the company's gone now, but I mean, they really changed the marketplace. They came on with this very low cost, very simple robot that people could work with, and they created this buzz around collaborative robotics. And from there, uh, you know, KUKA, we already had our, our collaborative robot arm, but I mean, it wasn't, it was kind of off to the side. Uh, from there, everybody, all the major players and a lot of new players kind of popped on scene with robots designed specifically to put in the workspace with people. Uh, the, big, the big difference there is, you know, an industrial robot has a really simple design. It's a six, typically a six axis robot. It's all steel. It moves very quickly and it really doesn't have a lot of sensing for um, collisions and for contact with people. Whereas the, the new robots are typically designed with nice rounded edges. There's no pinch points for people to get their fingers stuck. 
they're they're very force sensitive, and so they're built with the idea that they're going to be in the workspace with people. So all the kinds of features that you would need to to um, create a safe environment are built into these new robots. Right. So as the market for these robots have grown and as that technology has advanced, uh, you know, creating more opportunities for collaborative robots, what are some of the primary use cases that you've seen uh, for these particular robots? And um, maybe what are some of the markets that you've seen grow the quickest over the past several years? So the use cases are, are as, as varied as the, the applications of robotics in general. Uh, we see a lot of um, the ability to put the robot in the workspace where maybe not necessarily working directly with people, but being able to share the same space and therefore be more effective. So, for example, if uh, you look at uh, putting plugs in cars on, on car bodies or applying um, glue or sealants while people are working on other applications in automotive, that's pretty common. Um, I handle the medical business, so virtually every robot I sell is collaborative. There's going to be somebody in that workspace, and that's that's taken off for us quite a bit as well. Um, you know, the the acceptance of of robotics, plus the fact that in medical especially, there's already enough accepted applications and FDA approved applications that not having a robot on your system in, in some market spaces like um, orthopedics, it's a hindrance. I mean, if you don't have a robotic system in orthopedics, you're considered behind the curve and well behind. So a lot of companies are already working on their Gen 2 robotic systems. So, um, you know, medical is big. Uh, any kind of assembly, any kind of um, um, high precision or high repeatability uh, applications are really common for collaborative robots. We also see a big growth in assistive robotics, things like uh, robots handling the payload, the repeated uh, heavy motions, and then people are just kind of guiding the robot a little bit or acting as um, you know quality assurance during, the, during some of these processes. Um, I think, like I say, it's as varied as the applications you can think of. And, you know, certainly putting, putting the robots out there in these applications, people are looking for opportunities to put robots into their into their systems, especially um, on the manufacturing side, where there's still a substantial number of open jobs. You know, somewhere north of thirty thousand, even before this COVID recession hit, it's somewhere north of thirty thousand manufacturing jobs in the U.S. that just that can't get filled. So, robotics being able to put a robot in to help people or to make them faster or more efficient, it has been a, a big push for the last you know, five to ten years. So. When we talk about collaborative robots, what are some important factors to consider when we talk about integrating these robots into any setting, any of those use cases like you mentioned? Um, as people think through that process and think through what they need to know and, and how this can be valuable, what are some factors they should think through? So the most, the most important thing to, to really keep in mind is that the idea of a collaborative robot is somewhat of a misnomer. It's a collaborative application. The application drives everything. Um, you know, there's the the ISO standards, um, you know, ISO 10218 parts one and two and TS-15066 really sort of are the standards that define collaborative robots and uh, make the recommendations on how to how to have an application be collaborative. And there's four kinds of collaboration. There's hand guiding, there's um, power and force limiting, speed and separation monitoring and safety rated stop. Um, hand guiding. Uh, or teach by demonstration, sometimes it's called, 
it sounds like a great tool, uh, certainly for setup and, and rough programming. It's, it's helpful. But in the real world, it's, it's not used nearly as much as, as the other ones. Um, but the important part of, of the, when you look at the standards and try to apply them to an application, is that most robots can be used with most of those types of collaboration. Um, the industrial robots don't have power and force limiting necessarily, so that so you know they kind of fall out there. But speed and separation monitoring, safety rated stop, uh, can be done with any not any almost any industrial robot, any kook industrial robot. I can say for sure. Um, so when people look at an application, a lot of times they're limiting their thought process to the robots that are specifically designed for collaboration, and that really is a mistake because. Um, the robots designed specifically for collaboration typically top out somewhere around the 14 to 20 kilogram payload range, uh, which is fine for small small applications. But there's a lot of big applications, uh, a lot of heavy payload applications where certain types of collaboration are um, are possible. And the other thing that you run into with the the robots designed for collaboration is usually a lower speed. So an industrial robot runs somewhere around two meters a second, but when used in collaborative mode, most robots are limited to about 200 millimeters per second. So you're only going to get about 10% the maximum speed of your robot. Um, when you use speed and separation monitoring and safety rated stop, those, those two in combination, you can use any industrial robot at full speed as long as you have some way to detect people entering and exiting the workspace. You run the robot at full speed. As they enter the workspace, the robot slows down and eventually stops. But as they leave, the robot can run full speed. So when you start to think of things like uh, doing QA checks, where once, twice, three times an hour, somebody's going to go in and check a part to make sure that it's still being machined properly or placed properly, they're only going to be in that work cell for a minute, two minutes. You're far better off from a production standpoint to slow and then stop the robot for that that one or two minutes every half hour than you are to um, um, have the robot running at ten percent speed the entire time. You know, so when people start to think of how to do a collaborative application, they often focus on the robot rather than trying to maximize the value of the application. You know, putting robots in the workspace is not something that um, that you do just because you can, you do it because it adds some kind of value. And in order to maximize the value, you want to make sure that you're also maximizing things like throughput and production efficiency. And so I think, you know, if people don't look at the whole package and they, they limit themselves to that thought process of, oh, it has to be, quote unquote, a collaborative robot, I think they really miss out on the big picture of what's possible with robotics. That's really interesting. It's almost a putting a putting the cart in front of the horse situation where you know if you don't start off understanding what your goals are and what you want to achieve then you might make decisions um simply based on okay we we want collaborative robots. Okay, let's let's put collaborative robots in here, but if you start off with an understanding of what exactly you're going for, what your goals are, then you work backwards to find, you know, how exactly this setup works best for you to keep you at peak efficiency and make sure that your robotics choices are smart given what your desired outcome is, right? Absolutely. That's exactly right. You know, the, the thing that should always be driving the design of any, any robotic cell is, um, 
efficiency and driving the pro- and allowing the process to dictate what kind of, of technology makes sense. So if you're ma- there to maximize throughput, um, then you know that should be the driving factor, not not limiting yourself, like you said, to one choice over another because it's it's currently popular or whatever. You want to make sure that what you're doing is is driven by the customer need, not by some preconceived notion that well th- these are my only options because this is this is this is what um, I've been told works. You know the right. basics of cell of manufacturing cell design, basics of robotics don't change based on whether it's collaborative or not. The things that change are things like the safety concept. You know, if you've got people entering and exiting a cell or people that are going to be in there all the time, then your safety concept changes. You know, obviously you've got to consider people getting injured versus being, you know, having a, a robot behind a large industrial safety fence. But at the same time, that that shouldn't people entering and exiting shouldn't be um, shouldn't be limiting your 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 success to the point of you know 10% of your maximum speed you want to make sure that what you've got going on is a well thought well developed solution and using the best technology possible and if collaboration makes it better then you should be collaborative if it, if it doesn't and it really hurts the process then collaboration is the wrong answer. Right. So is that a conversation that you have frequently with with clients just as you kind of talk them through this process? And if so, you know, what does that conversation typically look like? How do you how do you guide them to find success with robotics um, and maybe move away from preconceived notions and towards a more uh, beneficial solution for them when it comes to robotics? It's a very con- common conversation. Um, I, I've even had conversations with um, a fairly large company, their, um, their safety officer called me one day and said, you know, Kuka, you can't go and change the rules. Robots are, are behind fences. You can't just tell my people that they're allowed to go on out and start building um, um, production areas without fencing. You know, who do you think you are? And I was kind of taken aback and I said, well, we're, we're not telling them anything. We're, we're pointing to these standards that are developed around the idea of having fenceless robot applications. And this person was quite shocked. You know, they said, well, I've never heard of any of this, Um, you know, kind of a very old school mentality. And uh, it actually ended up being a very good conversation, but really enlightening for this person because they had no idea that robots could be used without fences in the traditional historic robotic field. That just never was an option. And so to have such a game changer just just suddenly become popular at his facility, he was taken aback and he thought it was actually Kuka telling his people that it was okay. And, you know, we had to kind of lean towards the standards. Here's the here's the rules. Here's where they are located. You know, go take a look and then we'll have another conversation once you're kind of up to speed on things. Um, (laughs) Excuse me. Um, I think the other thing that, like I say, is super super important for our people and our sales team to understand and help our customers understand is that it's not the robot that drives the solution. It's the solution that drives the choice of robot. You know, we kind of talked about very, the, the robots that are designed for collaboration of very low payloads. And that's fine when you're working on the, in a small, you know, 
electronics or small machine tool handling type application. But there are some very large payloads being manipulated around pay, around people. And it's totally acceptable as long as the safety concept is properly defined and developed. So, you know, the example I used of Accurate, the, the, the LINAC they move around the patient is somewhere around 700 pounds. And they're moving that over top of a patient. They've been doing it for 20 years. It's perfectly safe. But that concept to most people is very foreign. The idea that you could carry such a payload over top of people, you know, makes, makes most, uh, most safety officers cringe because they still have the old school mentality of well, what if it goes wrong? What if the robot, robot doesn't, uh, doesn't follow the rules? And the reality is there's, there's plenty of ways to implement additional safety to be sure that that's never going to happen. So as this becomes maybe more widely accepted and, and as the market for collaborative robots and, and what we're talking about continues to grow, do you think that uh, maybe ideas and mindsets will begin to shift, continue to shift, let's say, to where uh, people understand that concept and that um, maybe there's a there's a, an increased comfortability uh, with robots in the way that you're talking about? Definitely. Um, you know, we've seen in the last five years, many, many new companies start up that build only these small collaborative robots. Um, and it's a great idea. And certainly there will be that part of the market space, but that's going to be a limited portion of the market space. You know, if you look at the, the industrial robot design, the steel six axis robots, um, it's just a super robust design. You know, the, the, they last seven to 10 years, run 24-7. They just, they work. It's the most robust design out there. Whereas a lot of the collaborative robots, these, these companies that are building the quote-unquote collaborative robots, some of them are, are almost toys. I mean, the quality on them can be very, very um, poor, but they can be very low cost. So if you're trying to implement a test solution, or something really simple that doesn't run a lot, they can be fine. But when you start to look at industrial manufacturing and production requirements, you know they're looking for robust solutions. They're looking for solutions that will run long time and run effectively. And a lot of the sort of collaborative robots are not built that way. They're built to maximize safety, but they're not built for a long production run, you know, um, the initial version of robot that was produced by Rethink, I think, had a lifetime of somewhere around three or four thousand runtime hours. That, I mean, that's less than a year. So it was a low cost, simple solution, but it was not a robust production solution. And I think as was we get more into this market, the expectation from customers will always be that what they're getting is a robust production level solution. And I think they're going to realize that some of these new companies with sort of the lower end technology or that only offer collaborative robots can't really provide a full solution because the payload is so limited, the quality of the product isn't there to run the kind of time and, and, and have the life cycle that they're looking for. So I think the customers who have the industrial knowledge still expect that they're getting a, a, a an industrial quality robot, but they're starting to realize that some of these products that are new and, and, and coming out to market really are, are more research level or, you know, more, more simple 
than they had expected. And so they're kind of starting to look back to, okay, so if I have to implement a solution, can I use an industrial robot or something similar that has that robust nature that I'm used to? Yeah, no, that that absolutely makes sense. And so now I'm kind of curious just about um, maybe the future of uh, of robotics. And you know, as we as we discuss about you know collaboration um, and and having these types of use cases and having these types of settings, what do you see coming uh, maybe down the pipeline that that has you excited just about what the future holds for robotics and collaboration in general? And you know, what what makes you excited about this industry moving forward? So I think I think. You know, certainly from from our standpoint, you know, we're we will continue to build uh, additional robot models, and some of them are going to be collaborative for sure, um, because the the market is there, and there's a, there's a certain demand for that kind of product, especially when people are going to be in that workspace all the time. You know, it's very hard to make an industrial robot safe for people if they're going to be there all the time. Um, but what what really excites us is the ability to have the product line to meet all of the needs for customers from someone being in the workspace 100% of the time to someone who just pops in for a minute to check to, you know, the applications where nobody's going to ever enter the cell. So, you know, we kind of think KUKA and, and certainly some of the other big players, but we feel we're, we're uniquely advantaged in that spot because we make sure that all of our robots, you know, can certainly handle the, the speed and separation and the safety rated stop so that they're ready to go for these larger, more complex collaborative applications. And I think, you know, as you, as you start to look for, look to the future, it's going to be a, a solution provider. It's going to be a, a company that provides, you know, everything from the simple to the most complex, the light payload to the high payload, big reach to the small reach. You're going to need that, that product portfolio and I don't think most of the collaborative robot companies are really prepared to compete on that level. They may, they tend to make one or two or three small models, and that's it. You know, so when a, when you start looking at a a facility and what it's going to require to do all of the production kind of needs that are there, uh, I think you're going to need someone like Akuka to come in with a with a broader product portfolio that can meet all of the needs. And so, you know, as I think. The market starts to shake out. A lot of these smaller, very specific um, collaborative robot manufacturers, I think a lot of them are going to disappear. A lot of those startups are going to last for a couple of years and they're going to disappear because they don't have the, the right depth of portfolio to meet the market needs. Well, Corey, this has been just a really fascinating conversation, and I feel like you've uh, opened my eyes a little bit more towards uh, towards the possibilities when it comes to collaborative robots and and how they can work and uh, and kind of change my mind about some things. So this has been a really fun conversation. Uh, Corey Ryan, Director of Medical Robotics at KUKA Robotics. Corey, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the time. Absolutely. And everybody, thank you for listening to this episode of Orange Intelligence by KUKA Robotics. I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Make sure you go subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts to get uh, previous episodes as well as future episodes of the podcast. I've been your host, Tyler Kern. Until next time.